Welcome to another inspirational message from City Life Center Church. If you are ever in the area, come visit one of our services. We would love to meet you. Enjoy the message. I'm very, very excited to preach to you, and I, and I honor this opportunity. And uh, for one, I, I respect you. I have respect for you if you're here today. And here's why. You could have been a lot of places, but you chose to be here in the house of God. And someone next to you may have had to go through hell just to get here. And I believe that God honors that. And uh, also, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach my heart out, and I just want to ask the question, is anybody ready to hear some good preaching? Yeah. Then make sure you come back next week because Papa Bear will be in the house. <laughs> but uh, Dad, he's, he's, a, he's really sick right now, and, and uh, he, he's in bed, and he went to a, a clinic last night, and Mom's taking care of him right now. But we're going to pray here in a moment. And uh, before we do, I want to introduce to you uh, the title of my message today. And I want to share with you on the subject, it's time to believe again. It's time to believe again. Too long have we been in a place of apathy and unbelief, believing that where we are is the, is the highest potential of where we could be. I, I want us as a church, to declare it's time to believe again. It's time to believe that our next generation is the best generation. It's time to believe that my potential can be fulfilled. I am enough because of who sent me. It's time to believe that our city can be healed and our nation can have revival in Jesus' name. It's time to believe again. And however you came in today, I'm believing that you're going to leave today with your head lifted, full of hope in Jesus' name. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for these few moments that we have together. God, I pray and believe that you would, uh, you would open up the eyes of the blind today, that, that people came, who came in here without vision, that you would give them sight in Jesus' name. God, I pray and I speak healing over my dad's body in Jesus' name. God, I pray that for anyone in here who walked in here sick, God, I'm believing by the presence of God and the power of your Holy Spirit, people will walk out of here healed in Jesus' name. God, ultimately, all glory and honor goes to the name that is above all names, and that is the name of Jesus. I believe in the name of Jesus. We thank you for what you're about to do in Jesus' name. And everyone said, and everybody said, amen. High five the person next to you and say, it's time. It's time. You can be seated. You can be seated. Now, I'm, I'm really excited, but I want to ask the question. Growing up, did anybody's mom force them to wear a puffy coat against your will? I have, I have a thing about puffy coats. I, I don't like to have anything on my body that is either puffy nor fluffy. I take issue with puff and fluff. And, and there was an instance where we were, I was about seven years old. I'm living in the great state of Texas, and mom and dad, they, um, they tell us, that my brother and I, that we are moving to Kansas City, Missouri. Kansas City, Missouri, and they sold us on the idea that it was going to be full of snow and very exciting, and, and that got us really excited until about two weeks before we left. 
uh, mom came down with a beige Dillard's bag. Anybody remember Dillard's? She came down with a beige Dillard's bag, bag, sat my brother and I down, brother right here, and she pulls out a black coat that is beyond puff and fluff that you've ever seen in your life. Uh, so, so I pull out the coat and, and, and put it on. Ooh, Misty, setting the mood. Thank you. We can cut off the tone to, for now. So I, I put out, I look at this coat, and on the back of it has the head of a chief. And overlaid are the letters KC. And it was only until later that I realized that that was the Kansas City Chiefs, because I had been a Cowboys fan all my life. And, uh, and it wasn't until a few years later living in Kansas City that they might as well be called the Kansas City Briefs, because that's all they're good for. Oh. <laughs> But uh, that's neither here nor there. So two weeks later, I'm in the car. And mom had, mom had said, you will wear your puffy coat. You will wear your puffy coat. So I'm, I'm driving in the drive up to school in my mom's red Windstar with my brother. And I've got a scarf on. I've got my hat on. I've got gloves on. And I'm, I'm in my puff from neck to knee. And mom had promised me that all the other children in Missouri would be wearing puffy coats as well. But as soon as I drive up, I see snow, and I see children, but I see neither puff nor fluff. <laughs> I see Missourians, Missourites, walking around like it's springtime with shorts and no-show socks. And there I am in my puff. So, so I say, Mom, Look at everybody else, and she looks, she looks at me, and my mom's, my mom's Mexican, full Mexican, so she has a low tolerance for opposition. She looks at me, and she says, if you, if you take your coat off, oh, I'm going to find out you had better not take it off if you're outside. I said, yes, mama, walk out, walk out and go into the classroom. That day in recess, and I'm just, I'm just trying to figure out the, the lay of the land. Out on the concrete where, where recess was, and that's how they do it in Missouri, uh, a little boy walks up to me. About eight, his name is, he's eight years old, and his name is Jared Fox. I'll never forget this. Jared Fox walks up to me. And I'm just still trying to mingling and trying to find out who my friends could be, and I'm feeling a little insecure with my puffy coat. Everyone else is in shorts and sweaters. And, and Jared Fox walks up to me and says, Hey, Woody. Why do you wear a coat like that? And then uh, all of a sudden, you know, just angst just rose up in my little seven-year-old heart. And I said, well, well, you know, my mom makes me wear it. And this is what Jared said. Figured. Right? And then he looks down and he says, what's that on your feet? What kind of shoes are those? And I look down and kind of nervously respond, these are my white K-Swiss classics. And this is what Jared did. I kid you not, and I'll never forget it to this day. He put his hand on my chest, and he said, why? And he pushed me. He pushed me and said, why? And thus began my first fight at age seven. And I'll tell you, by the end of that fight, I walked away with neither scuff nor scratch because I was the one wearing a puffy jacket. 
<laughs> and uh, it wasn't until I got home that I j broke down with mom in tears, and I was embarrassed, and I had gotten pushed and fought Jared Fox, and uh, he's the principal's son, and it's the worst day of my life, and and I pleaded with mom that I could uh, that I could just throw away my puff jacket, but she she was insistent that I wear it. And what I would do every single day is I would, as soon as I got out of my mom's red Windstar, I would go to the restroom, I would take my puffy jacket, and I would stuff it and hide it in my backpack. So, because I believe that if I looked like everyone else, then I could fit in. I didn't have to be known as Puff Boy. <laughs> Which is to say, how you behave is actually a direct reflection of what you truly believe. I believed if I looked a certain way, I would be treated a certain way, so I acted differently. I want to ask you the question, and I want you to deep, dig deep down. What do you truly believe? What do you believe? Because if you don't define what you believe, your culture and your environment, it'll define it for you. What do you believe? And I can say, for one, that I, I struggle with unbelief from time to time. And here's why, and I can prove it to you. Because if I truly believe that God has eternally validated me, then why is it that when I feel anxious, I feel the need to reach for my phone and check my Facebook notifications? Why is it that as soon as I wake up, my first thought is, oh my God, thank you for breath in my lungs and for a new day, but instead I reach over to check my phone. Why is it that I fill my schedule with things that have no eternal value, causing me to live life exhausted and at odds with the people around me? I do this, we do this as a culture in exchange for a small dopamine rush that would leave us worse off than before. So why? Why is it? Oftentimes, as a culture, we have exchanged knowing and certainty for the power of belief. Because if I look at my phone and I check my notification, I know that I'm going to find something. But what if I just truly believed that I'm eternally, perpetually validated by God? I want us to look at the life of Jesus because we're at this place in our culture where there's a whole lot of knowing going on. Everybody knows everything, but we believe in very little. What do you believe? Go with me to Mark chapter 9, verse 14. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. And it's a familiar passage, and I want to set the scene for you. There we are in the Middle East and, and near Galilee. And Jesus had gone up on his mountain. He takes his varsity disciples, three of them, and heads up on a mountain for an experience and leaves behind the nine other disciples. So something happens by the, between the time that Jesus goes up and comes back down to these nine disciples. For when Jesus returns... He finds them in a malicious, vindictive argument with Pharisees. So obviously, I don't know how long they were up on the mountain, whether it be two hours, maybe it was six hours, maybe it was two days, but it was obviously long enough for the surrounding towns to catch word that Jesus' boys were down there at the bottom of the mountain. 
for the Pharisees and people to come and begin this argument, this debate. We read in Mark 9, verse 14. It says, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a huge crowd around them, and as the teachers of the law arguing with them, and as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. And then verse 16, Jesus speaking, what are you arguing with them about? He asked. Jesus walks down and the first thing out of his lips is, what are you arguing with them about? To his boys. What are you arguing with them about? And there's in this scene, in this Middle Eastern uh, valley, no response from neither the disciple nor Pharisee. How long was the silence? Maybe it was 15 seconds. Maybe it was two minutes. But Jesus had walked on the scene, and something in the environment shifted. The argument ceased. And we find out why here in a moment. And a man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit, and it has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, he gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Jesus responds, you unbelieving generation. And I believe that he turns away from the man and looks towards his disciples and even the Pharisees. You unbelieving generation, how, how long shall I put up with you? How long shall I stay with you? Bring the boy to me. Now, when I read this, I thought, Jesus is asking, how long shall I put up with you? I mean, you're Jesus. I mean, you're, you're supposed to be nice and kind. And what's going on until I realize and God revealed to me the context of this question? How long shall I put up with you? Here's why this righteous anger had stirred in him. Because Jesus walked into his disciples and Pharisees arguing about the cause of the condition of a little boy instead of looking to the solution. Continues in verse 20. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus that was in the boy, immediately it threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, the dad answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, hear this, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can do anything, the man says, if you can, to Jesus. Now, I relate with this man because I've had my expectations up only to have them crumble. So oftentimes in life, I ask God or live life with a, uh, if I can. Well, God, will you help me out, you know, if you can? It's easy to say, if you can, because if he doesn't, there's not very much at stake. If you can, he says. Verse 23, Jesus responds with the same question. If you can, said Jesus, who looks him in the eye, and I believe he looks deep into his soul and says to this dad, 
everything is possible for one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, and then probably stutters and corrects himself, will you help me overcome my unbelief? When Jesus saw the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. He says, you, de- you deaf and mute spirit. He said, I, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked. It convulsed him violently, and it came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's, he's dead. But Jesus, I love that. But Jesus, but Jesus, when everyone else said he's dead, got down, took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, And the boy stood up. And the boy stood up. And I have a couple observations in this passage. But by the end of this story, I wonder what happened to the Pharisees. Because all of a sudden, there's no more mention of an argument. So whatever happened with Jesus walking on the scene dissipated and dissolved this argument in an instant. All of a sudden, the argumentative spirit was silenced and quenched. And the next ob- observation is Jesus didn't come to the boy and ask him and try to figure out what sins that he committed for this state. He didn't ask the dad what he might have done wrong to cause this condition. Jesus didn't come with a list of duties or activities to, to pull himself, his son out of this state. No, Jesus, his chief concern was not what the man or the boy did to get where he was. His chief concern was one word. It was belief. Belief. I, I don't, Jesus isn't concerned with what he did. He, Jesus, he, he was concerned with what the man believes. Which is to say, what if Jesus is less concerned with your behavior conforming than he is with your belief transforming. And I, I have an encouraging word for you that I believe is going to build you up, and it's, and it's for somebody today. And I, I'm going to give you a couple, a couple points, and I want you to write them down and believe it with all your heart. What Jesus may say to you today, if he came into this room and he spoke and he looked into your soul. Here it is, number one, if you're taking notes. You never really start believing. You never really start living until you start believing. You never really start living until you start believing. One of my favorite preachers of all times is Dr. King, Dr. Martin Luther King. And he once said, a man who has not found a cause willing to lay lay down his life for is not even fit to live. I wonder, do you have a cause in your life? Do you have a belief that you're willing to lay your life down for? I'm telling you, unless you do, you're missing out on some life. There's some energy. There's some passion. There's a reason to wake up in the morning if you have that cause, if you have that belief. You never really will start living until you find something to believe in. My question is, what do you believe in? What is the cause you're willing to lay your life down for? I believe in the cause, for one, of the local church. 
I am ready and I am willing to lay my life on the line for the cause of the local church so that Jesus might be known in my city and in this world. My question is, what do you believe? Because you never really will start living until you start believing. I had, I had someone ask me recently, Preston, uh, why, are you, why are you so passionate all the time? And I responded, Red Bull. No, you're kidding. I, whenever people would ask that, I used, to tell, I used to tell them, oh, it's just part of who I am. But then the other night, I, I was thinking about that after someone had asked me, and I realized I didn't always used to be like this. Something had switched in me. So why am I so passionate? It's not because I pursue passion. I'm passionate because before I was lonely, I was broken, I was depressed, and then I believed in Jesus. I'm not passionate because I want to be passionate. I'm passionate because of what I believe. If you want to find something to be passionate about and give your life to, I say alter and find something to believe in, something that gets you up in the morning. My question is, what do you believe? Because you will never really start living with passion until you start believing in something. What do you believe in? Number two, decide what you believe or the world will decide for you. Decide what you believe or the world will decide for you. Has anybody, uh, anybody ever been to Disney World? Yeah, I, I, lo- I love Disney, and, and we went to Disney, Disney when my little brother Ian was born, a few months after he was born, and, uh, and we were staying in a hotel, and we were at, at Disney for probably three, uh, three or four days, like it was, it was an awesome, almost week-long vacation, and uh, in the morning, uh, I was typically the first one awake, because I had so much excitement and anticipation for Disney, and after this, the second day, we, we didn't get out of the hotel until probably uh, 9, 10 o'clock, right? But the park opens much earlier. And so I'm laying there in, in bed early the next morning, probably uh, 5.45 to 6 a.m. And I'm thinking, if we get to the, for the next three days, if we get to the park, I'm, I'm eight years old, two hours earlier for the next three days, that's six hours of Disney that I would have lost, all right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find a way to maximize this six hours of Disney, and I'm going to get this into my life. So I did something that I'm not necessarily proud of and I don't necessarily condone, but what I did is I crawled over to my brother's little crib, and while he was asleep, I started to poke him. I started poking him through the little net crib. You know, those things where the kid's face is up against I started poking him. Mom and dad are snoring, and then I just start poking harder. And as soon as I hear him screech, I crawl back over to my little pallet. I cover back up, and I pretend I'm asleep. And all of a sudden, within moments, Ian would begin to scream. He would begin to cry, and I would begin to smile with my eyes closed. And all of a sudden, whoop. When Ian's awake, the family's awake. So I guess it's off to Disney. So I didn't have the leverage to decide when we left for Disney in the morning. 
But I knew someone who did have that leverage, and his name was Ian. <laughs> what if we as a church, every single morning, we decided what we were going to believe before our environment and our emotions told us? What if we woke up every single morning and decided, hey, I'm going to run into some grouchy people today. And you know what? In fact, I know I am. So I just hope I'm going to run into someone grouchy so I can just give them the biggest smile they've ever seen in their life. I just hope someone cuts me off so that I can just blow them a kiss and say, I love you. God bless you. I don't know what you're going through, but I'm your friend from this car to that. What if we lived life every single day where we woke up and we decided, I don't care how I feel. I'm deciding what I believe, and what I believe is Jesus. What if we truly believed that the King of Heaven lived inside of us? What if we truly believed that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lived in me? What if we walked and stepped and spoke like that? Our world would change. Do you believe it? Will you believe it? Will you stand with me? I have one more thing to share with you as we close. Hold on to that feeling. Streetlight people don't stop believing. Now, I decided to make an alteration to this text, okay? A slight alteration to this text. Now, you cannot and you should not alter the word of God. It cannot be altered. But whoever said anything about altering the words of Steve Perry? Second Journey 4.1 says this, don't stop believing. Why don't you let go of that feeling? City life, people, don't stop believing. What would happen if we let go of how we feel and grabbed hold of what we truly believe? My dad taught me growing up, son, emotions are not reality. Emotions are not reality. You know what that means? I no longer have to live by how I feel so I can live by what I believe, by whom I have believed in. The one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die even though they die. And I know you may be going through hell right now, but Jesus has the keys to heaven. I know the media is telling you that you should feel afraid and oppressed but guess what? Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. The best is yet to come for those who believe. I know you may feel like you've wasted the last six years of this life, but we serve a God who is the God of second chances, the God who was and is and is to come, the one who transcends time and space, the King of glory, and his name is Jesus. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. For more information about how you can get involved with City Life locally, text CONNECT to 41411. Again, that's CONNECT to 41411. Or visit us online at citylifecenter.org. We would love to meet you.